Thank you, Pat. You know, Pat Malloy Berthelot has played organ in this place, I think she told me, 36 years. Is that right? 36 years? That's incredible. Wow. That's as long as I've been alive, 36 years. That's incredible. Thank you for being here today, filling in for Nate while Nate Burbank's in Thailand for a couple weeks. So it's good to have people we can call up. It's good to have a preacher we can call up last week. Trey Hayman did a great job last week. I watched it yesterday. Fantastic word about staying the course, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, which leads to fellowship and authentic community. I love your little geometry calculations. I'm not smart enough to do those, so thank you for figuring out the degrees uh, off that we needed to focus on Christ and how we get so distracted by the little things that throw us off on the road to fellowship and unity as a church. It is good to be back with you. Today we're going to continue to talk about how we can get koinonia right here at Woodmont Baptist Church. You know, fellowship doesn't just happen. It's not something that just naturally occurs. It takes concentrated effort. It takes practice to get it done correctly. Last week, somehow on the Twilight Golf Group, I got paired with Logan Newton and with Jim Beret. And these guys are not only 10 years younger than me, but also play a lot more golf than I do. And Logan was on the golf team in high school, and when we stepped up to the tee, I went to the, the, the white tees, the average guy tees that I normally play from, but Logan and Jim immediately went to the back tees because they play from way back there. And so, of course, I said, I'll play from the back tees, no problem, let's do this. And Logan hit first, and he, he hit about 10 yards from the green on a par fours, just short of the green, uh, probably 300 plus yard drive, and I said, okay, maybe I should just drive the cart, maybe, and not, not play, but those guys have swung a golf club thousands and thousands of times. They have worked and worked at their game, and it's a hobby. Jim said it's one of the few hobbies that he gets to enjoy, and he works at it and practices it. Fellowship must be practiced. It must be honed like a good golf swing. So today, we're going to continue to ask, how can we hone fellowship here at Woodmont Baptist Church? I invite you to stand in honor of God's Word as I read our text from today, from Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, 
nor again the, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Thank you. You know, the older I get, the more and more I'm convinced that God has an amazing sense of humor, and passages like this that are a part of God's word are meant to be absurd a little bit. They're meant to make us laugh and break down this illusion that we set up that our ways of doing things are somehow superior to God's ways, the high and holy sovereign Lord of the universe. When Jesus talks about shoving a camel through the eye of a needle, I think he's cracking jokes. These parts of scripture that help us laugh show us our own futile attempts to navigate this life and this world on our human terms instead of fully trusting and fully relying on the terms of the God who designed this world. And this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 12 helps us understand God's way for the church to function best in this world. If you've been a part of any church for any length of time, you may see that as we have read this text, you may see how this passage can cut right through the way that many churches tend to behave. Churches all tend to suffer from the same issue, right? They're all full of people. When we were in Guatemala a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to serve with this amazing, brilliant ophthalmologist uh, named Dr. John Chapman from East Tennessee, and he's retired now, but he goes on a lot of trips, and many of you have worked with him uh, with Woodmont trips over the years, and one night over dinner, he was telling us that he was a Lutheran, and I was fascinated by that because he was raised Baptist in Jefferson City. His dad was a professor at Carson Newman, a good Baptist institution. I said, how did you come to be Lutheran? And he said, oh man, it's a long journey, and he talked about the the trouble that he'd experienced in the Baptist church where he lived. And then he went to a Presbyterian church, and, and they went through a split, and there was all kinds of drama at the Presbyterian church. So he went to another church, Presbyterian church, and there was problems there. He said, you know what, Nathan? He said, all churches have the same problems. Sinful people doing sinful things. But praise God that we're being made new from the inside out into saints in God's eyes, that we are no longer slaves to the spirit of sin, but we are adopted into the holy, righteous family of God, as we read from Romans 8 earlier. You may have had your own experiences with church trauma. I have a friend in, in ministry who describes two life experiences in his testimony as church trauma one and church trauma two. If that's you, if, if you've been burned by the church, I meet a lot of um, adults who don't go to church because they were hurt by the church as a younger person. Trey and I talked a lot about how students can, can be hurt by things at church and then they don't want to go back as a young adult. 
If that's you today, let me just say I'm so sorry. That's not what the body of Christ was intended to do or to be. This should be a place where everyone feels welcome and loved. And I hope that we can continue to grow into a kind of church like that. So whatever church trauma you've experienced today, I hope that you never have to experience anything close to what was happening in the life of the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to here. I hope that our church here at Woodmont can be a healthy, thriving church where we cultivate a vibrant fellowship, where we faithfully carry out the five New Testament purposes of the church. And I I pray that we don't resemble the church in Corinth. (laughs) You know, Corinth was a Roman colony that sat in an important crossroads kind of between the east and the west, kind of between Greece and Asia Minor uh, right there in Turkey today. Corinth was this large cosmopolitan city in the first century when Paul's writing this letter where paganism and, and vice ran rampant throughout the city. Paul shows up here on his second missionary journey with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he brings his new friends from Rome, Priscilla and Aquila, who are tent makers like he was, and they plant a church that's rooted in Jesus Christ right in the middle of this den of iniquity. And the church in Corinth struggled mightily. Instead of being different from the world around it in order to make a difference, it instead mirrored the pagan hedonistic culture around it. The the main problem really in Corinth time and time again were these endless divisions and factions that kept arising in the church. But they were also plagued by persistent sexual immorality. The, The Corinthian church just didn't get it when it came to embracing God's standard of holiness for his children, for his family, for his body, the church. So Paul ended up writing them several letters. We only have two that exist today, but we know there were at least two others that were written that we don't have. And he's basically telling them, get your act together. I I like to read those little satirical, sometimes, sometimes they're horrible, but sometimes they're funny. Those little satirical articles on the Babylon Bee, you know what I'm talking about? Babylon Bee is this Christian satirical website that that publishes fake news, uh, you know, based on church things. It's hilarious. they, they have one post recently that are one-sentence paraphrases of every book of the Bible, 66 little summaries of what the book is all about. And they say that they've, they've done this so that you don't actually have to read a word of the Bible yourself. Forget read the Bible in a year, now you can read the Bible in five minutes. And what's crazy is that some of the summaries are pretty accurate, like the one for, for Romans. The, the one for Romans says, God justifies... Man messes stuff up. That's, that's pretty much the theme of, of Romans. But then the, the next book after Romans is 1 Corinthians, and the summary for that one says, stop messing stuff up, Corinth. And then the summary for 2 Corinthians, in all caps, says, Corinth, I meant it this time, Corinth. There's a little more actually to these letters. I encourage you to actually read them for yourselves in your Bible. But suffice it to say that the Corinthian church was not getting koinonia right, nor were they getting worship or evangelism or discipleship or ministry right either. 
One thing the church in Corinth was really confused on that was causing a lot of rifts and factions was spiritual gifts. Have you ever taken one of those spiritual gift surveys in church? I think they're great, really. I think they're fascinating. And, and I used to, as a youth minister, I used to administer these tests to our youth. And we talk about what each gift means. Gifts like prophecy, which is basically truth-telling, speaking truth to power sometimes. Serving, teaching, leadership, wisdom. There's a lot more uh, that I, I won't get into. It's interesting to me that the Lifeway, you know, the Baptist tests tend to leave off gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, like healing or speaking in tongues. But for now, let me just say that I, I believe those gifts are very real, that the gifts of the Spirit are real and active today, that the Spirit still bestows the charismatic gifts on his people today. That's for another sermon later, though. But the, the problem in Corinth was that these, these gifts became so uh, important to the people there in Corinth that they forgot about the giver of the gifts. They became so preoccupied with trying to obtain certain gifts over others and with achieving a certain kind of spirituality that they left no room for the actual spirit. A lot of what Paul is saying in this letter is, is about this issue. He's correcting this problem. Look at a few verses earlier in chapter 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, the same boss that we serve. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. This is a call for unity. Paul's addressing the factions that have run deep into the Corinthian church. Their church had fragmented over this issue of the different spiritual gifts. So Paul reminds them that all the gifts come from the same place. The same Holy Spirit who indwells you and indwells me and indwells everyone who has placed their saving faith in Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. So he's calling for, for oneness, for the factions to be squashed. You know, churches that are divided cannot function as the body of Christ. Paul echoes this idea of unity in verse 13 that we just read. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is why Tim Keller calls Christianity the most inclusive of all the exclusive truth claims that are out there in the world today. You know, every religion, even atheism, contains exclusive truth claims. If you don't agree with the truth that they're presenting, then you are somehow excluded from their worldview, right? Christianity does the same things. But our truth claims in Christianity make us one, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of ethnicity, even geography. Christian fellowship, true koinonia, is becoming one with Christ first and foremost, being a fellow heir with Christ, adopted into God's family, and then becoming one with one another. It's like a parent saying, I love all my kids equally. God really does love us like Jesus. Not only is there a great need to understand this God-given unity in our church and in the church in Corinth, 
But there's also a great need for us to understand our God-given diversity as well. We're not the same, me and you. I love that. Woodmont is one of the most multi-generational churches I've ever seen, and I love it. Getting to have conversations with people who are not at the same age and stage of my life has been incredibly life-giving to me and a wonderful strength of our church. We have a diversity of ages here. We also have a lot of other differences. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We have different gifts from the Holy Spirit. We have different interests. Some of us hit a golf ball 300 yards and some of us hit it 100 yards. (laughs) And this is not an accident that we're different. This is all part of God's plan for his body. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You know, I I wish I had the the musical chops of some people in this room, some of you who are great musicians. I wish I could play like like Pat. I wish I could sing like Richard or play like Carol. She's so good on the the piano. My wife mentioned after Jean Jolly's funeral just how beautiful the piano uh, music was during that service. I wish I could could do that kind of stuff, but that's not the part that God intended for me to play here, even though Richard and I did switch places one Sunday recently. (laughs) You know, the funny thing about that experience, too, when Richard and I switched and he preached and I did the music, was that we both said what a tough week that was for us, how draining it was, honestly, for us. It's not in our natural gift set, our our, our wheelhouse, our God-given gift set to do those things. You know, Richard and I are are different in a lot of ways, and that's a good thing. Our gifts complement one another well. We have people in this church from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of locations, from, I met a girl today who just moved here a week ago, been in town for a week, from many different, uh, you know, ethnicities and from many different uh, gift sets as well. And I think that we need more variety of people even still. I think God wants Woodmont to be a truly diverse church. It's a strength, not a weakness. Do we have anybody here from Alaska? Anybody born in Alaska? No? We need some Alaskans here. We do. We need all kinds of gifts. Does anybody here play the cello? We have any cello players? No? Oh, yeah, Tim Sickberg, you play the cello? Wow, this is amazing. So we got, we got that covered. I'm going to check that off. All right. Let's put him up here next, next Sunday. We got a cello solo. I'm looking forward to that. Anybody here build computers? Do you do that too, Tim? You build computers? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Mechanical engineers. We need more of those. We need all kinds of gift sets. I heard about the Dominica team, how, how their gift sets complemented each other so well. How Trevor was able to, to build a back door somehow just his ingenuity out of, you know, some siding and, and installed this back door in this house. And Calvin was just saying it was incredible that his gift set as a builder was, was so perfect for that trip and for their team. I think the mustaches probably helped too. <laughs> it takes all kinds of people. It takes all kinds of people. 
with all kinds of gifts and all kinds of backgrounds to make us a healthy church and to cultivate a strong sense of fellowship and koinonia. I think we need to do a better job maybe of valuing the, the intricate tapestry that God wants to weave here by appreciating the diversity of people and the ages and the stages and always seeking to cultivate even more diversity in this place. Unity and diversity, or better yet, unity in diversity. That's what this passage is talking about. We have to pursue both unity and diversity. I was reminded of this reality the other day when I was looking through some social media time and I saw a post from Jonathan Sickberg to his brother on his birthday. It said, happy birthday to the best bro around. Here it is, Jackson Sickberg. And I immediately noticed their outfits and I, I don't know the whole story. I haven't talked to Jonathan yet about the, the whole story of what's happening here, but I assume this is, what, Halloween? Is it a Halloween? No, it is Halloween. Halloween costumes. Whose idea was this? Was this your idea? It's incredible. Is Jackson wearing a skin cap, or did he go all out and shave that? Did he, he shave it? That's incredible. <laughs> I also assume that this is around the year 2004, somewhere around that year, because do you know who these guys are? The, look at the jerseys, who they are impersonating. It's two of my personal favorite athletes of all time, Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. If you don't know who they are, let me enlighten you. One of my favorite sports teams of all time was the 2003-2004 Detroit Pistons. Let me describe this team for you. The, the Pistons had been terrible for 10 years, since the early 90s, back when Isaiah Thomas and the bad boys had, had won a couple championships. But for 10 years after that, they never made it out of the first round of the playoffs. They were horrible. But the management started to add some role players. You heard that term in sports before? People who, maybe not superstars, but they know their role, and they play their role on a team. They traded Grant Hill, a superstar, for Ben Wallace and Chucky Atkins. Ben Wallace was undrafted. He was terrible. Nobody wanted him. And he was, in 2004, they added, finally, or at the beginning of the 2003 season, they added a coach as well, who was really already uh, probably the only star on the team, Larry Brown. And, and Larry Brown preached teamwork, defense, hustle, heart, unity. I, I once heard one of my favorite personal coaches of all time, Rick Bird, this guy in the sweater vest here, I once heard him of my alma mater, Belmont, he once said, you know, it's amazing what a team can accomplish when nobody cares about getting the credit. That seemed to be Larry Brown's philosophy too. Because there were no superstars on that Pistons team that year, their starting five was made up of two really skinny, undersized players, Rip Hamilton and Tayshawn Prince. Remember Tayshawn, Kentucky boy? They had a troubled power forward who was out of shape and lost his temper all the time, Rashid Wallace. Then they had these two other guys, Chauncey and Ben Wallace, who had been written off as, as washed up, as, as used up, as, as beat up. They were injured and they were considered done. 
But that team functioned as one person on the court. Everybody knew their role, and they worked together, and they fought for loose balls. They scrapped for every rebound. They never gave up on a fast break, and they began to gel throughout the season, and they finished in third place in the Eastern Conference, which was a surprise to everybody, and they continued to beat teams in the playoffs that no one thought they had a chance of beating until they ended up all the way in the finals against the incredible, famous L.A. Lakers in the NBA Finals. This Lakers team that year in 2004 had Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Hall of Famers, as well as Carl Malone and Gary Payton, some of the greatest to ever play the game. And they were coached that year by the legend Phil Jackson. They had veteran winners like Derek Fisher and Horace Grant all going against a team of losers. The Lakers were heavy favorites to win the series in a sweep. But what happened was historic. The Pistons held the Lakers to the lowest point total in NBA Finals history, and they beat them four games to one. In game three, the mighty Lakers could only score 68 points total against the Pistons' solid, unified defense. The next night on Jay Leno, Leno said, 68? 68 points, that's, 68's a great score. If you're playing golf, it's, it's truly amazing. Like Rick Bird said, what a group of people can accomplish when each person plays their role, when they're unified, when they're working together appropriately in their diversity. Ben Wallace was huge, he was over seven feet tall. Chauncey and Rip were small and short. They were very diverse. You know, I hate to improve also on anything that Rick Bird has ever said or done, so don't tell him I'm going to change his, his, uh, his phrase, but I would say that while it's great what a team can accomplish when no one cares about getting the credit, it's even better when everyone on the team cares about giving the credit to God. That's what should happen in a church. You may have seen our church byline. It's printed underneath our logo. It says, by God's grace, <clears throat> excuse me, and for his glory. We know that every good thing that happens through Woodmont is a gift of God's gracious love and providence. But do we also care about bringing glory to him in all that we do? Do we long for the world to know the greatness of our God that blows us away time and time again through stories like the Colliers? So three main points I want us to remember here. First, let's pursue unity. Let's be serious about unity. No matter what your background may be, no matter the horrible things that you've done, no matter what you've accomplished or what's in your bank account right now, we are all in this together. Christianity is a team sport. It cannot be done alone. I was talking yesterday with a, a woman who's in the hospital from our church, one of our members, and she said it takes a community. She understands that now in a special way because the prayer warriors of this church have been lifting her to the Lord, and she's seen the evidence and the fruit of that manifested in her own life. We have the same Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the same God, the Spirit, who lives and dwells in your heart and in my heart. That unites us in a very special bond. Let's not forget that. And I know it can be hard and church can be messy because we're people and we're broken and we're flawed. 
and we have relationships, and relationships are hard. So let's do what the Bible says in Colossians 3 when it comes to dealing with other people. Put on then, verse 12, Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, not being nice, kindness, humility, meekness, that's a hard one, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, the body of Christ. So first, let's pursue unity. Second, let's pursue diversity. Let's appreciate all the different gifts that we have because God has made us differently. We are different people, which is exactly how God intended for it to be. If we're going to get koinonia right here at Woodmont, we have to value and appreciate all kinds of people and all kinds of gifts, no matter how great or how small they may appear. Everyone of our members is essential to this body working well here. And finally, let's do all this so God can receive the credit and the glory. What a glorious thing the body of Christ is. When the body of Christ is functioning as it was intended to be, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it brings honor and glory to the Lord who intended for it to be as one body that is made up of many parts. So let's be a beacon here in Green Hills for the glory of our God. Let's hold high the name of our Lord Jesus so that all can find a home with him and with us forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word that gives us instructions on how to be the body of Christ. Thank you for the call to both unity and diversity that you've given us as your people and as your body. God, I pray that you would help Woodmont to be a healthy church where church trauma doesn't exist, where relationships, as messy as they are, are done with patience, kindness, forgiveness, meekness, humility, that we would forgive one another as we've been forgiven by you, O God. Help us to embrace one another as you have embraced us. That you don't see our faults, Lord, but you see us as holy children of God, for that is what we are. God, I thank you for the unity and diversity that I already see in this church. You've done wonderful things in this church, and I pray that you would receive all the glory and all the credit for that as we work together as one body, as one unit, each playing our part in order to bring you ultimate glory. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your high and your holy name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior into your heart and never become a Christian, I'd love to talk with you about that. It's the most important decision you can ever make to, to make Christ the Lord and master of not only your heart, but your life for now and for all eternity. If, if you want to do that during the time of invitation, I'll, I'll be here at the front. I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like.
maybe you are doing this Christianity thing on your own and you realize you need a community, you need a team, and you're ready to become a member here at Woodmont Baptist Church. If that's you today, I'd love to talk with you about membership, what it means to be a member here at Woodmont and to be part of our family of faith here. Or maybe you've never been baptized. I've met some people who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior but never followed Jesus' example of, of being immersed in baptism as a beautiful picture of the, that outward symbol of an inward reality of being born again into a whole new kind of life. I'd love to talk with you about being baptized. Whatever it is that you need, if you want to come pray at the altar today, you feel the Lord convicting you that you just want to come pray for some burden that's on your heart, or if you want to meet with, with Trey, I'm going to ask Trey to come stand up here. I'm going to ask, is Jan here? I hadn't seen her today. There she is. If you'll come up here too, that'd be great. If you, maybe you need healing. Maybe you want to pray for, for healing today. I'm going to ask Brad McKelvey, he'll come up here too. If you want to ask Brad to pray with you, there's something that, he, that he's done and I've done with Brad before. And it's a real powerful thing, the power of prayer, I'm telling you. It's amazing what it accomplishes. Whatever it is you need to do during this time, we're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Let's stand and sing.